Hello, Bonsai friends, and welcome to episode 12 of the Bonsai Southeast podcast. I'm Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and this time I'm joined by Mike Lane of Kitsune Bonsai, uh, one of our regular co-hosts here. Uh, today we will be discussing five things that we wish people would have told us when we started Bonsai. Uh, kind of almost like a introspective kind of thing, like if we could go back in time almost and tell ourselves this, or maybe uh, we would have taken people a little bit more seriously and got past the kind of obsession and want to do bonsai. Uh, but before I get too far into that, I wanted to mention that our podcast is sponsored by Underhill Bonsai, Louisiana's premier bonsai nursery. If you would like to support the show, uh, follow, like, and subscribe to our social media accounts as followed. Underhill, same name, uh, under Facebook and Instagram, and you can sign up for our newsletter at underhillboneside.com. Uh, for Mike, you want to go to his Facebook or Instagram under the name of, you say it because I'm going to butcher it. Kitsune Bonsai. Kitsune Bonsai.com. He has merch on his store as well. Make sure you buy a shirt, support Mike. Uh, he's he's out there doing his thing in Bonsai uh, for the first time. I'm proud of him. That's a good way to go into it is go out and and do the bone side thing, you know. I'm trying to congratulate you for starting your Thank own thing, but it's coming out kind of awkward. <laughs> I was supposed to talk yet. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and then, uh, and pretty soon here, the podcast will have its own merch. Uh, I have a few shirt designs that are going to be available. They're going to have the the Boneside Southeast logo to sport with them. But listening to our show is more than enough. And if that's what you can do for now, thank you very much for listening. So, yeah, uh, back to uh, uh, congratulating Mike uh, for starting his his own little. What, what would you call it? Uh, well, it's it's going to be our own little business. I wouldn't yeah. call it a nursery, but it's uh, we're going to be selling plants. More of an education center, I guess, is what we're going to be doing. More focusing on uh, spreading knowledge through bonsai, getting people started in bonsai. Kind of some of the basic rules that are easily forgotten or that people who haven't been to a, an actual bonsai class maybe uh, would be useful for. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. So I'll, I'll call it from this point on a bonsai business. Uh, Cause yes. I was, I was unclear, but it is kind of like, uh, you know, just go to, just go to Mike's website. He'll, he'll have plenty of information there. It's a, it's a good website. It was done really well. Uh, so back to the topic of this, of this, uh, this cast today, five things we wish people would have told us before we started practicing bonsai. Uh, so Mike, I'm gonna just uh, say one of the things that I wish someone would have told me and I'll kind of elaborate on a little bit and then you'll just kind of chime in after it, okay? Yeah. So uh, yeah, one of the things I I kind of look at now is I wish somebody would have told me to propagate as many cuttings as possible, especially for scions, approach and root grafts. And also just for the fact that I could produce more trees that way for the time, the amount of time that I've been doing bonsai now. Uh, it's, it's incredible to think how many times that I've come into working on a tree and been like, I need a branch right here, but I would have to go either go buy another stock plant to source it or grow a whip out really far on a branch and then thread it back through. Um, if I only would have just taken a cutting the previous year, this would have never been an issue. Same thing with root grafts. I mean, I have a lot of trees that now I'm kicking myself for not having the appropriate material to go in and fix you know, Nabari that could otherwise be close to a pancake, nice, beautiful, uniform Nabari now. But sure. uh, even some of the stuff as far as like taking a cutting and just twisting it when it's really young 
and going in and just making killer like little plants just to start as either show in or just stick them in the ground and keep that, that beautiful curve on it, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, working with cuttings is something uh, that I, that's probably the primary way that I build bonsai these days, um, especially shohin trees is working from the ground up. And I've found that with cuttings, it's almost like a tortoise beats the hare kind of approach. So the, the key thing people need to remember about starting with something young is that you never, you have the opportunity to never make any flaws on that material. So if I go out and I buy a piece of material for $25, the first thing I'm gonna have to do is cut it back. I'm gonna have to cut all the things off that we deem flaws, you know, trim it down to a trunk line, remove straight sections, yada, yada, yada. And that's because that tree wasn't grown 100% under the guidelines of bonsai. It didn't, it was grown under the idea of having options for the person who purchases it. Mm-hmm. Um, with cuttings, you have say over the, the growth the entire time. And so these flaws, can, you, you can police them early on so that they never occur in the tree. And so you actually end up moving faster with the cutting than you do uh, working with a piece of material that you're fixing something with. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing when you can grow cuttings out and the roots most of the time will grow on the exterior of that cutting and not really cause you have to issue, have to deal with issues like a tap root. Right. And it'll make a flare so much better. So yeah, just, yeah. just take, take cuttings guys. Like that's, especially if you have a species that readily takes so easily, you know uh, what you got Mike for your first one. Well, my, one of my first ones was similar to that was uh, no instant gratification. You know, when I first got into this, I was very quick to rush things into a bonsai pot and try and get it on the bench. And that just really perpetuated a lot of issues and slowed me down, believe it or not. Um, The only plus thing that happened from that is you do get the opportunity to learn more about wiring, more uh, repotting, you know, more about some of those little intricacies. And so I do feel that there's a fine line between keeping a beginner interested in bonsai by giving them enough to, to keep them going mm-hmm. uh, while also teaching them authentic techniques that will, you know, benefit them long-term as well. So got to find that happy medium and that's a tricky place. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a hard place to be whenever you first get into bonsai and you're like, I want to be there right now. You know, like, it's like, let's start doing all the stuff that we need to. Let's get a bonsai pot pick, pick, picked out for this sucker. I mean, this is going to look good in a blue pot or a green pot or whatever I got. You know, let's go ahead and cram it in that small pot. Let's go ahead and get wire on there. And yeah, you lose, you kind of lose all those things. And your your tree definitely is not going to repay you with uh, what, what you expect from that kind of situation. No, and I'm a, I'm a big clip and grow guy. You know, I'm really big into taking the uh, the long way around nowadays. And uh, I still teach beginners in the way that I learned. I still do kind of teach them to wire out things, pot them real quick. And because otherwise I, I fear that they will lose interest watching a branch grow out for eight months. That's kind of part of the thing is wanting to keep that perfect bonsai form the whole time and not understanding that those thin little spindly branches that you keep staring at won't really progress unless you, unless you really take your time to, you know, cut and grow is the, one of the oldest techniques in the book that, you know, like you've told me, like, you know, wire that's, that's fast bone side, you know, cut and grow. That's the, that's the real way to start developing trees with age. That kind of leads me into my, my number two was, uh, is don't, Underpot your trees just because you want it to look more like a bonsai sooner, which is kind of that Instagram 
underpotting your tree. You can kind of do that in some respects. Uh, you can put the tree into a pot that you know that you could go into, like like we've talked in the past about like underpotting. I mean, uh, double potting, so that maybe the roots shoot at the bottom and uh, maybe give your tree some more girth. But you'll never you'll never give your tree that opportunity to grow out and and become more than just you know what you started with. If you if you just didn't touch the tree for a little while and let it grow out, get get better branching situations for you where you can build build your ramification on on healthier pieces of wood you know under potting has always been a thing i think a lot of people are it, it kind of goes both ways that's kind of what the the topic really is on this on my input on this one is under potting some people are scared to do it because they're like oh yeah i can't water the tree enough you know or oh i like I, I don't like the way that looks. So I'll just overpot it. So sometimes beginners get into this kind of thing where they do over overpot their trees on accident. And it is, it is a little bit more beneficial that way. Yeah. And, and that is beneficial if they do do that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of ways to get to success. I have trees that I started with that I did quote unquote incorrectly when I first started that are great trees now. Um, but I will say that I've gotten to more dynamic trees quicker using kind of modern methods, using patience, uh, as counterintuitive as that sounds, um, you know, by abstaining for a year at, to have my bonsai, I will have a way better bonsai. So a little bit of patience actually gets me to a finished result a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's weird. It's weird how that, that tension kind of builds like that. Um, Underpotting, potting, you know, that's, it's always going to be kind of a, a tug of war between the, the aesthetic that we're trying to achieve and the health of the plant. You know, I agree with that. My number two, I'd say would be trying again, going back to instant gratification, not being afraid to work from the ground up, you know, um, trying to, to buy something, going and buying the fattest trunk possible and thinking that that's going to give me a leg up on on bonsai design, or that's going to save me some time. Uh, it really doesn't, it doesn't save you any time when you consider all the other factors that go into bonsai design. Um, now I, I, like I said, in the, the previous point is now I'm much more apt to grow things from a young age and grow them where I want them to be, or very, be very, very choosy in the material I decide to purchase and make sure that I'm purchasing something that's adding, you know, basically taking away from the time I'm going to need to use to develop the tree and saving me a big bulk of that time. Yeah. I was really into this thing where I would go out and find the meatiest, weirdest shaped trunk I could find and think that that was going to be, that was going to be my best tree. Um, and, and yeah, it's back to the taking cuttings. Just if you could build that tree from day one, you will, you'd be absolutely amazed by what you could achieve with just a little bit of early wiring and setting trunk movement. And then you can get that gnarly trunk with good roots. You can get that tr gnarly trunk with, with proper branching pl placement and opportunities. So yeah, it's, it is, it is a thing like thinking about building from the ground up, uh, which is really hard to kind of conceptualize, especially when, especially when you haven't really grown the tree from, from nothing. Like when I say nothing like cutting or seed, um, and yeah. cutting's a lot more common, yeah. But I think that, that that honestly teaches, that'll be a big step up from beginner to intermediate 
when you learn how to build a tree branch by branch, you know, learning that you're, in order to move forward, you, you can't move past a certain stage on the tree and then come back later and fix it. So if I'm missing a back branch, I can't go forward with the next left, right, and back in a lot of scenarios and just build the rest of the tree or my odds of coming back and getting that back branch are very, very slim. So I'm a big advocate of building, you know, focusing on what you have, build your right branch, your left branch, your back branch, make sure that you don't move forward on the tree until you have everything you need. Yeah. And so, so that's been a big benefit to me uh, where I'm at now is kind of the efficiency of growth, you know, working from the ground up and just being very efficient with my moves. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So for going into number three, uh, something that I've been kind of like, I guess I kind of beat people over the head with it a little bit more and more as I talk to people who decide they want to become more serious in bonsai is check the roots of stock before you actually go in and decide that you're going to start working with it. And that's not, that's not check the roots to make sure you have good Nabari. That's check the roots, like take the plant and kind of wiggle it in the container. How firm of a, of a plant is that like, is it kind of wiggling around? You can see soil kind of, kind of just moving around it as you do it, or you go to wiggle that plant and nothing really moves and it's very root bound because a lot of uh, people get into this thing where they'll go and uh, go early beginners. I shouldn't just say people. I'm talking about early bonsai uh, uh, people who go on their first bonsai journey and they go buy a plant from uh, the garden center and they pull a plant up and it's extremely root bound. Or they pick up a plant and it's just been up potted from that previous stage of its of its development as just a nursery landscape piece. And so that's one of the things that I always kind of stress is like, if the roots are healthy, then we can start working on the top. And I made the mistake uh, whenever I first started, I would just buy these plants without, without really establishing good roots and just start working on them. And then wonder and just keep wondering why they kept back, they kept backsliding on me. And so that's, that's one thing is if that, I guess that's kind of one thing I, I could probably tell my younger self in this and anyone else that's beginning is if your tree is more root bound than not, I think that's a little bit better of a situation uh, for, for not having, not having enough roots, healthy roots. Uh, I mean, cause from root bound, then you have to address the issue of repotting and reducing root mass, but that will come at a later time. At least the plant has enough stored energy to deal with what you're going to do to it for the first time. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, and one of the ways that I kind of teach my students in classes, that everything goes under a health development and refinement paradigm. So the first thing I do, if I buy a tree is if the roots are compromised or I notice that that there's problems with the soil, then I will up-pot the tree or repot it into appropriate soil to increase drainage and gas exchange in the roots. And so then I give it a little bit of time to recover from that period and start pushing vigorous new growth. And that's basically like fueling up the battery. So as I start to refuel that battery, I'm building up my reserves for my next move that will be kind of cutting the tree back and encouraging it to do some back butter. You know, that is an important aspect of bonsai is finding uh, good roots, working with strong roots, um, and making sure that you start from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So usually I've, I've been a big advocate of that health development refinement. Moving from health into development 
it, I just noticed that everything moves a lot faster if I have that, that three-part system. So if I'm in refinement and an issue happens with the tree where the health starts to become compromised, then I will actually take the tree out of refinement and move it all the way to the first part of that paradigm back into health and focus on that. I don't care if that's taking it out of the finished show pot and putting it into a larger pot and letting it grow out for a season. I don't really care. So the, the paramount to, to my bonsai teachings is health of the tree. So you should love the tree first and foremost, before how it looks, before anything else, that tree should be like a dog or a cat. And you should basically treat that tree as though like first and foremost is that nothing bad happens to the health of that plant. Then you can groom it however you want. Definitely. What, what you got next on your list, Mike? So the next thing is probably the biggest one of my, of my five. Um, don't be so dogmatic. You know, this is something that's probably my most recent lesson is don't be so stuck to your, your dogmas and your, your pre uh, preconceived ideas of what bonsai has to be. Um, there's hundreds of, well, thousands of practitioners doing bonsai in different ways in the world now. And you can't really express that it's right or wrong. You can say that it doesn't necessarily adhere to Japanese culture, but when you break down what bonsai translates to, what does it translate to? Just tree in a pot or planting in a tray. Tree in a tray. That's it. Yep. So everything else is accoutrements. It's additional. It's, uh, you're adding that on to, to kind of further develop the tree and add refinement and elegance to it. But it's not necessary. It's not necessary to love the tree. And so uh, the, the dogma. You know, having to do bonsai in one way and having to this being the right way and that being the wrong way, I think is probably one of my biggest mistakes. Yeah. Not realizing early on that you see all these other trees that because everybody's going to do that thing where they they search up bonsai and they look up different varieties and different species. And you see you see something that like really contradicts what you imagine a bonsai looking like. And then that usually gets brushed to the side in the very beginning. So you're always looking for that, that bonsai shape, which is kind of silly to say that because there's not really a bonsai shape. It's, it is more of a technique than it is how you trim it or how it looks or how you perceive it. Um, and like we were saying earlier, it's just some, some trees don't, don't necessarily get viewed the same way as other people see it because you know there there's definitely an untrained eye to it and then there's people who see lots and lots of bonsai um and i would probably put me and you in that in that kind of place there it's like i've seen so many bonsai trees but every once in a while we'll see one that kind of sets the apartment and kind of wows us and it's something that we we didn't expect either from a species or from a form that's just there's somebody in another part of a country or another world of, of bonsai. And I think it kind of put it more into its own little thing is for little basket is kind of saying like, it's a bonsai culture. So right. each little region has their own bonsai culture and how they understand it. They have their clubs, they have their friends and they have their, their person, their, their bonsai professionals from that region who have taught them, this is what bonsai is. And so, yeah, when you get into a dogmatic kind of thought, you're like bonsai uh, in Japan is number one and bonsai in Japan is number one. It's, they have the, the cleanest looking trees, the best technique, but
but that doesn't mean that's a, that's the only bonsai out there. I, I agree with that. That's not the only bonsai out there. And there's uh, a lot of beautiful ways to explore bonsai. My personal passion has been Taiwanese bonsai, you know, the shapes and forms of Taiwanese bonsai. Mm -hmm. And uh, while, while the culture of, of Japanese bonsai is probably speaks more to me, the shapes that I see in Taiwan uh, are more exciting to me. They, they kind of uh, make me more interested in doing the hobby than just kind of the still very Zen-like triangles that are in Japanese bonsai. In a way, I've developed my own culture and my own way of appreciating bonsai that my students will probably have that kind of impact them and influence them. Yeah, and we're going to have to do uh, another episode on Taiwanese bonsai uh, because... I mean, you're just opening my eyes to that world, but we'll save that for another another conversation. But yeah, uh, if you haven't looked into it, look into Minlo and Taiwanese bonsai. It's it's a pretty intense world out there uh, for all the curviness and all the the gro grotesque but beautiful trunks that I've seen from that uh, that bonsai culture. I guess that's kind of what we can kind of kind of reference to, you know, different regions now. So. Uh, my next point would be uh, number four for me would be don't buy the first coolest tree. This is then we're talking to day one uh, young bonsai person who wants to become bonsai practitioner walks into their into a bonsai nursery. Maybe the first time they've seen a professional bonsai nursery walk in there and see the first coolest tree that they can afford. Uh, it might be pushing their budget, but you go in all on it because, you know, you're like, I want to be in bonsai. I want to be real. Don't buy that tree. I, and I, I know it's really hard to say that to a lot to a lot of people who really want to want to like feel like they're on this this next level of it because it's I mean this is a hard it's a hard uh, lesson to teach because most of the time you will buy that first tree that you put a lot of money into and not a whole lot of interest and a whole lot of work into it. So it doesn't have the same reflection when it dies. So when that tree dies, you're like, man, this sucks and I suck, you know, bonsai maybe not be my thing. And that, that can, that can be a killing point for a lot of people who first get into bonsai. Um, and so my recommendation, if you're standing there in the bonsai nursery and, and you're, you're viewing a professional collection or a bonsai nursery where it's more catered to uh, the nursery plants that we would expect to see for quality starting stock, uh, don't go buy the first one that you see that you think is like the gnarliest thing ever. And, uh, and all that well-spent money, you could have bought five mediocre, you know, quote unquote, mediocre trees that could be your, your favorite trees. But I know it's a really hard thing. It's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. It's kind of like, unless you walked that path kind of lesson, you know? Well, and also on that same note, I think as a beginner, you have to ask yourself, are you going to be a collector or are you going to learn how to make bonsai? Because if you're a collector, then it's okay to kind of fall in love with the tree you're buying. Meaning that it's okay to be like, okay, I'm happy with how this tree looks today. I don't need to change it. I'm going to maintain it as it is. And that's fine as a collector. But if you want to learn to make bonsai, the first thing you're going to have to do is basically break that tree down to its essential pieces and rebuild it from the ground up. And so that's going to be a tough pill to swallow when you just spent a bunch of money to have a full tree and now you're leaving with a stick. The reality is that that's unfortunately that's bonsai. 
bonsai is not just buying a piece of material and calling it bonsai. It's the training process. So it's uh, you'll learn more out of starting with some uh, out of stock, basically nursery stock and growing it out with the intention that you're going to be cutting it a lot and things like that, rather than saying, wow, I really love the shape of this tree and the form and the canopy. I hope we don't cut it at all. And I just get to put it in a bonsai pot. You won't learn as much out of that. Yeah. It's a really hard uh, pill to swallow. I mean, seeing the tree and like, we're going, we're kind of going back to your instant gratification. It's like trying to, it's trying to sprint the marathon, you know, that's, it, it, it will exhaust your interest in it, especially if you kill something that you just were like completely enamored, enamored with, and then you spent all that money on it. And, and yeah, it does kind of go into the whole thing with being a collector. That is, um, that is totally a different uh, ball field there, you know, playing field is you're a collector and you have someone behind you to help you with that experience with that tree. That is different. Yeah. So, uh, but from a completely just, ground you know just like i want to be into bonsai i want to make trees yeah i i would say start with a bunch of little sticks and bend them shape them you know we'll go back to the, the cutting thing you know do what you need to with them at an early stage and if they die they die then you start over you know so what's your number four mike my number four is uh don't listen to everyone so <laughs> yeah that's that's I'm sorry it's kind of punk rock <laughs> yeah that's that's the thing is even if everyone has something valid to say when you're first starting out in bonsai you should pick one person or two people that you listen to that you like their trees and you should kind of listen to them for a while and adhere to their way of building trees because mm -hmm. the problem is is if you listen to too many people too many chefs in the kitchen ruin the, the what is it too many chefs in the kitchen ruin the the soup uh, whatever it is, you're Sounds basically right. ruining the recipe. So too many uh, people in there are going to confuse the, the student. And so I feel like select your, your teacher, learn what they have to offer. And if you're still seeking more and more knowledge, then, you know, continue on with other instructors. But trying to go and listen to every visiting artist that comes and saying, well, my last teacher said this and you're saying this. Well, they said that I can do that, and you're saying I can't. That makes it for a very confusing uh, kind of paradigm for them to learn from. And so, like, one thing I did was early on is I learned from Eric. That was it, Eric Weiger. And I just, I didn't really listen to anyone else. I would kind of take what they would say with a grain of salt. And ultimately, if Eric didn't agree with it, then it wasn't going to be added to my arsenal. And now in recent years, I've kind of, you know, moved away from that and generated my own way of doing bonsai. But it's, it's still, I, I think, having that groundwork and having that narrow focus helped me kind of uh, concentrate on one aspect of building bonsai and not being pulled in so many directions. Yeah. And uh, you really hit the nail on the head there. It was take everything as, as a grain of salt. I mean, there's so many perspectives on bonsai. And if you're on YouTube and you're just, you're just trying to gather information and you're taking everything in and you see this one guy, he's over in Indonesia cutting a bonsai tree. And you see this guy in Great Britain and he's cutting a bonsai tree. And you see a guy in, in America is cutting a tree. I mean, these guys are all going to do it so drastically different. And they're going to tell you things about root health and when to trim your tree and, and, uh, and things that 
that would make sense to them. And then, yeah, then you have your bonsai clubs and you have these, you know, you have your, your club members and that, I, I think that's kind of the, one of the things with the bonsai club too. It, I, I love my bonsai clubs. Uh, there will be some people in the clubs that will do kind of what you're saying. Like they'll, they'll kind of stick to their, their own way and they'll choose that one path and say, there's that one guy I really like, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do what he does. But then there's, there's always a couple of people in that club that are always like everything all the time right now. And they're like, well, this guy said this, and this guy said this. And so it's really hard to weed that out. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think sticking to a formula early on and following a singular teacher, that that's a really good point there. Um, Cause I can kind of call back to, to somebody else that I've talked to uh, in the past was uh, with Harry, with Harry Harrington. I really dug his, the way he developed deciduous bonsai. And I was like, that's, that's my truth. Like I wanted to develop my elms and my horn beams and my, you know, he didn't do a lot of cypress, but I would, I would just kind of look at the way he developed branch structure and taper and stuff. I was like, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I hear other people telling me how to do this, but when I cut that branch and develop that taper and that, that mature branch structure, it's, it's, it makes more sense to kind of just keep following that one path. So, yeah. And uh, I've heard a lot of contradicting things doing bonsai, but like, like you said, Mike, uh, just take it for what it is. Uh, but don't, I guess, I guess my other point is don't for, don't try to just forget it though. Like don't just brush it off because it does mean something and it could be something for your arsenal later. Maybe you heard something you were like, Oh, I don't know about that. But then maybe that person was onto something. I don't know. It, it's, it is kind of a back and forth kind of feeling on that. So yeah. I that. But, what do you have for five? Uh, for number five. All right. We're in a rhythm. It's like, all right, let's go down the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for number five, this is a, uh, this is a pretty key thing. I you, you said that your number four was most important. I think my number five to me is something that I try to tell people on a regular basis that come into the nursery that I work with. Start with a species that will do well in your area, whether it That's be five. All right. All right. We can drive on this number five together all day okay. long. Do start with a species that does well in your area that you know that other people have worked with. And if you walk into a bonsai nursery or, or a bonsai professional space and you see them working with that, that might just be the species to work with because it's not worth chasing down the bonsai dream that, that you see in a magazine or in a book. Uh, because this, and this is just my, my perspective. This is my, um, my bonsai kind of story on it. When I first started getting into it was I saw these Yume and Mike, I know you're familiar with Yume, black trunk, beautiful flowers, beautiful fruit, dramatic, jagged branches and, and thorns and all kinds of really gnarly stuff. And I was like, man, I want to use Yume. And guess what? We live in Southeast Louisiana. You live in South Florida. There's no way that tree could take that kind of heat. And so it just kind of killed that dream for me. But I had to find another way to, to chase down that dramatic fruiting plant that I thought was gnarly and you know, found it in something else. So yeah, just find a species that works for you, you know, something native or our preferred species that does well in your, your area. I always tell people, do you want to grow the world's most mediocre trident maple, you know? So, or, and that's for here in Florida, you know, they don't do it very well down here. They don't trident, grow trident maples. Can you, can you grow them? Yes. 
can you grow a trident maple? Absolutely. Um, but are you going to be better spent kind of putting that energy into something else? I definitely think so. The trident maple doesn't grow well here. And so all of your efforts are going to be stunted. You know, you can put that same effort into a sea hibiscus and be four times as far by the time a year wraps up. So I've always been a big advocate of using something that, that grows and works well in your area that's adapted well to the pests and environmental conditions. That way you don't run into near as many issues. Um, I'll tell you what, in, in my experience, the sea hibiscus that uh, grows the best, that's the one tree that pulls its weight year round uh, in my climate. And so that's the tree that no matter what, it has very little pest issues, very little uh, issues with our temperatures, very little issues with our heat. So it's the tree that, that works one of the best for us here. And so trying to find something that also works well in your area is a, a challenge for everybody and it will make your life in bonsai a lot easier. Yeah. And, and it, it is a little bit of a defeating thing. And from, for me, sometimes it's like, yes, I would love to work with, you know, white pines. I would love to work with mountain hemlock, but never, you know, those are great species. Those are great inspirations. Um, and I will have to just keep on working with, you know, some of the key ones, like Mike's mentioned, uh, his sea hibiscus. I mean, it's bald cypress down here. Oh, well, up here slightly from where Mike is. Um, and there's a few things that I don't, that I don't realize that I didn't realize I was taking for granted with, with even that species. Uh, we talked to, I talked to, uh, with you, Mike, you said you don't even get the, the fall color half the time that we get on our bald cypress. Right. And, that, and that's things that we have to realize as a bonsai practitioner, as an individual, as we move forward and develop our taste in bonsai and what we're going to work with. And then we have to kind of make our natives and other preferred species for our range. So that's that's kind of one of the things, too, is like being conscientious of your range, knowing that some species won't work. And if you're just going to go all in on, like, for instance, my range, you, like you said, trident maples. Trident maples do pretty well here, but then it's like, we're not in that next zone up to get really good Japanese maple. And I know Japanese maple is probably a struggle for y'all. They don't do, yeah, we can't grow them. Yeah. And so we try our damnedest with Japanese maples. We have some really, really beautiful ones. Uh, I've seen some very great Japanese maples in bonsai collections here, but there are some varieties that we just can't get on board with. And even with Mike, you got all those great tropicals. There's some tropicals that just don't work very well for us here. We struggle. Sure. We we love our buttonwoods, but by damn, we struggle with those things. But you guys, it's like, you know, it's just another plant that kind of just grows in the landscape sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a pet, it comes down to a pest thing that we struggle with where you guys combat that pest a little bit easier. Yeah. It's just the, you know, plants grow best where they're adapted. And so if we can work with, with their adaptations and work with plants that grow natively for us, or even just uh, not even natively, but grow in our same latitudes, then that will really greatly help us out. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also I have found that some plants that even had been grown from seed in our range, if they can grow in, in seed from seed in our range and they come, they come out strong, then that's probably one of your guys, you know, that's probably one of your, that's probably something you can add to your roster of species that you can work with. So yeah. Oh yeah. I'm glad that we came together on that last point 
and cleaned and cleaned it up there. Like, yeah, species like specific to your area. Don't struggle too hard. So yeah, take a, take what me and Mike have said here. Uh, we, we both have a you know, pretty good amount of experience in bonsai here. So, uh, so if we were to go back in time and tell our former selves uh, what to do and what not to do, uh, unfortunately, it's too late because this is still the future and it's still moving forward. And that's kind of one of the things with bonsai: move forward, develop, uh, take these take these uh, things that you hear, and uh, maybe put them to practice. Or you can go on one of Mike's point and just uh, disregard all of it and just. <laughs> You got to go rogue. Yeah, sometimes you got to go rogue in bone size. Sometimes you got to make something different that no one's seen, but get down the principles and the proper technique first. That's, I guess that's another point, but that's for another, that's another conversation. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for hanging out, Mike. And we'll catch up on the, uh, we'll catch up on the next episode. You got it, man. Yeah. Yeah.